The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. You're welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock, and I'm delighted to say that Hannah Turrell is with me in studio, a woman who wears many hats uh, in a sporting sense. Uh, people would have seen her winning the All Ireland with the Dubs most recently, former Irish uh, rugby international as well, and former Shamrock Rovers player. Hannah, you're very, very welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Kieran. What's your favourite sport? Um, I get this uh, a lot. <laughs> That's the to obvious be honest. question to um, ask. No, look, I, I've always been one to love loads of sports, but for me, probably Gaelic football is the one that's come the most naturally to me over the years. Um, and I suppose I, I stopped playing it for a good few years with the rugby. Um, and when I came back after COVID, I realised how much I missed it. I got to play at my club again, and um, yeah, it's just. Uh, yeah, I just love playing it. I love playing all sports, but Gaelic football probably is, is the one for me. How special then was that on Ireland? Yeah, look, um, it's hard to put into words, really. Um, I don't think it's fully sunk in. I don't think it will for a couple of years, I'd say, or till, till I'm retired, you know. But um, something I've been chasing for a very long time. Uh, obviously, the last few years with Dublin haven't gone uh, to plan. Um, so to get over the line, particularly with this group of girls, where at the start of the year, we probably didn't think... You know, this would be our year. Um, it it was just a phenomenal season, and um, yeah, I'm just so grateful we won. Uh, a lot of people as well w- would have seen the images after of uh, Eve on the pitch. Uh, with you. how old is she now? So she's three months now, um, okay. and she was seven weeks old um, the week of the All Ireland. So I had my hands full yes. the couple of weeks leading into it. But to be honest, um, she's been such a good addition for us. Uh, She's been very good herself and I was sleeping really well. Oh, really? Well. Yeah, the week of the All-Ireland, she slept through the night for the first time. Like the, the night before the game, she slept from like 11pm to 6am. No and so, way. you know, my wife took the 6am feed and I got a little bit of a lie-in, but she, it's like she knew. <laughs> did, did you do that thing that everyone does with the first where uh, the two of you woke up at 6am and thought, oh my God, something's happened. Yeah. <laughs> How has she slept no, so long? We've definitely done that a few yeah. times going, Jesus, is she still breathing or, you know, is she okay or what's going yeah. on? But yeah, she's been a dream, to be honest. Obviously, a couple of challenging days, but we're very lucky. We've a, a great support network around us, and sure, the girls on the dumb team, you know, they always joke saying we have thirty-five babysitters there, but they're constantly asking for her, constantly coming to visit her. So um, she's in good hands there. So, were you kind of uh, adept at all sports growing up? Um, I mainly played soccer, uh, underage, kind of six to twelve or so, and then I. There was no soccer team for me to play with, um, so I, I joined Gaelic football and kind of found that, you know, a nice, easy transition. And I did a bit of running, I played a bit of camogie, um, I tried basketball, you know. Um, people kind of say to me, look, you'd be good at any sport, but I did try badminton and I'm useless at that. So All right, um, so we found the one you're useless <laughs> at. Yeah, so no, look, I, I, I love playing all sports. I'm very competitive, I have a huge drive and I, I want to win even even the small little things. So I think that that makes a big difference for me in, in doing well at sports. And what were the the options like for a, a girl who was good at sports? Like we often talk about, you know, say in particular when you get into the teenage years and there's that huge drop-off rate amongst girls. I mean, what was your experience at that? Yeah, so obviously, as I said, soccer was my first sport. And then when I got to about 12 years of age, I was the only girl on an all-boys team. And... Um, when it kind of went into under 14 level girls it was getting too dangerous for girls to play with the guys so um, you know I had to try find my own team but there was no local team for me you know I was the only girl I didn't know any other girls really who were playing football so um, 
unfortunately I had to give soccer up for a number of years um, and, and I, look it worked out well I fell into Gaelic football but um, I don't know my paths could have been very very different had that not have been the case you know mm. I probably would have stayed with soccer because my family weren't particularly GA mad growing up or anything like that but I, look I was lucky enough I the school I went to was an all girls school and they had some great facilities so that I got into basketball I did a bit of cross country um, you know through the community games and I had lots of options, thankfully, but I know that's not the case for everybody. And I'm just really glad that I joined Towers, who had a really good community of girls who stuck with it the right the way through. There was a really good yeah. core group of us who who just kept playing right the way through minor and senior. And do you remember like feeling anyway aggrieved by that, that the options weren't there for you as, as a female athlete compared to the boys? Or was it kind of, you know, I guess you were maybe... It, sometimes people don't stem back and question the status quo because it's the status quo. Yeah, look, obviously I was really frustrated. I was the only girl, you know, all the lads went on and continued playing football and, and I I couldn't, you know, and there was, it, it would have been not so bad if there was a girls team around, you know, or there was another girl on the team and it happened to both of us, but it, it was just me and it was quite frustrating because I was the type of kid who'd be running around with a ball all the time and mm. out in the streets kicking a football, so... To just not have that anymore was really, really frustrating for me. But as I said, I was lucky enough, I, I did have other options of sports. Um, that has changed. I don't, I'm not sure if we kind of reached the promise land, but I mean, you go to almost any club now uh, and at the weekends and you'll be up to your neck in it in a few years with Aoife, I'm sure, because I'm up to my neck in it as well with the boy and a girl at home. And there's just, it, there's, there's very little distinction, you know, particularly at those kids' age, from kind of five and six on. It's just a nursery out there. Yeah, it's brilliant. And look, particularly with, um, you know, the GAA, they've really promoted that kind of inclusion and equality. And the one club thing, yeah. Exactly, and we're all one club. And you see it in nursery, you have the boys and girls going down like Nafina at the weekend is is nearly a no-go area with the amount of a little ones that are running around. But uh, it's a fantastic thing for them. And then girls grow up knowing no different. And I think I heard in Nafina last year that we actually had more girls' teams underage than we did boys' Teams like and the the growth of the women's game in Gaelic football is is growing rapidly and it's because we're obviously seeing more of the the senior women's game on TV a lot more and in, in the media and therefore more younger girls are being inspired to play which is fantastic. How then did you transition from so you're playing with Towers and uh, loving the football when when did rugby come on the scene? Um, so I was in college in UCD I was playing away with um, Round Towers and just enjoying myself and then uh, Chopper or Sharon Lynch Chopper's her nickname um, basically was playing rugby for Ireland and she had I'd known her through football and she basically mentioned that Sevens was being brought in as an Olympic sport for Rio 2016 and that you know potentially I could have all the the attributes to do well there and she kind of was at me and I wasn't too keen. I'd never really played it. I'd watched the women uh, win the Grand Slam in 2013 and kind of gone, seems like a cool sport, but don't know if it'll be for me. And um, because I was in college in UCD, she kept at me and uh, I joined her club, Old Belvedere, then uh, in the off-season of Gaelic football. And it just so happened that, you know, I didn't have anything else on. And I just fell in love with it. I played with the second team there to learn the ropes. Their first team was full of internationals and... We played there, I think we won the, the league that year and then like January, February came along and I went back to, to Dublin football and kind of was going to leave rugby till the following winter until I got a call to come into the Irish setup and yeah. give it a go and it kind of took off from there. And did you have any of the hang-ups that some in, in uh, Gaelic games have about rugby or was it just another sport? For me, it was just another sport. Um as I said, I love to try play all sports and once I went down to rugby, I loved the 
the physical aspect of trying to get used to the contact there. But I had a lot of skills like from GAA, particularly, you know, footwork and the kicking game really helped for me in rugby. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I didn't mind. There was a lot of girls who played both at the same time or, or came from lots of different backgrounds. Um, and so I didn't really mind at all. Like, you know, I just thought that every opportunity to play was was a good thing. And so this, when you were in UCD, this was kind of the second tilt at university, wasn't it? Trinity was first. Yeah. And that was what, psychiatric nursing? Yeah, so I did psychiatric nursing in Trinity for a while and... Um, I had always kind of wanted to go into some form of a caring profession per se. Like I had teaching down as well and I wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do, but I wanted to go into psychiatric nursing because of my own mental health problems that I'd had and I wanted to be able to help people. When I got into it though, I suppose it had a massive influence on my sporting career because of the long days and it wasn't maybe quite as what I'd hoped it would be and Mm. I just wasn't enjoying it as much. So I actually dropped out and left it um, there and then um, went back and did an arts degree in UCD a couple of years later and like it all coincided really well then obviously for the rugby. What were those mental health problems that you'd had? Um, Just as a teenager I suppose I'd always been really ambitious and competitive and wanted to be the best at everything whether that was school or sport you know and I I set targets for myself that were a little too high and therefore never really reached them Um, and so I felt like I was a failure a lot of the time and um, for me, that turned into wanting to punish myself for failing and uh, I ended up developing an eating disorder um, and from then on kind of self-harming. And uh, the eating disorder developed from me trying to lose a little bit of weight because I thought maybe then that, you know, if I was skinnier, I might be better at sport and, and do better. If I was skinnier, friends might like me better and I might be prettier and all the rest. And all these looking back now were obviously very trivial and silly things, you know, because I had a great life. I had loads of friends, you know, I was doing really well in school. I was clearly doing well at sport, but they materialised for me into very negative thoughts and mm. they um, portrayed themselves in these negative coping methods. And at the time, you know, mental health wasn't talked about too much. It was still a huge stigma. Um, I wasn't really sure I understand. I understood a whole lot about what I was going through myself and... Um, I kept it all to myself and it kind of built up uh, to a point where I needed to get some professional help and you know that was a couple of years down the line And how did that manifest? I mean was it was there some sort of intervention by people around you they knew what was happening or did, did it get to a point you, you had that kind of self-realisation or um, tell me about that Yeah so it obviously built up to a point where I was really struggling um, and I was in sixth year and uh, I tried to take my own life you know and, and I'm very grateful obviously that that didn't work but then people found out and you know, realised that there was something going on behind this facade that I'd put on that I was this happy, outgoing kid. And uh, I went to Pieta House for counselling and I ended up as an inpatient in St. Patrick's uh, Mental Hospital um, for a while. And, you know, I just um, realised that I actually had a lot of support out there because a big reason for not reaching out was, as I mentioned, the stigma, but also that... You know, I'd be, I was so broken, I couldn't be fixed and no one would be able to help. And the fear of being stuck like this, I suppose. But I got a huge outpouring of support from friends, family, you know, old teachers, um, people I hadn't spoken to in years. And um, through kind of realising that, that there was help out there and that I could learn to communicate a little bit better about how I was feeling. I gradually started that process of recovery and it took a long time, you know, and there was good days and bad days, mm. but I'm, I'm thankfully long over the hump now and uh, able to look back on, on what I've been through. And what's the consequence of that recovery? I mean, it, you know, 
the obvious maybe is setting more realistic goals. Um, but, you know, in terms of attitudes uh, to yourself and your achievement and all of that. Yeah, for me, uh, it was changing my mindset. So, yeah, obviously setting more realistic goals w- yeah. was one. But like for me, it was my mindset. So, for example, when I was struggling, if we had a played a match, for example, and even if we'd won handy and I'd scored a couple of goals and a couple of points, I would have immediately focus on the negatives so the wides how many time I gave the ball away how many frees I gave away and not I could have played a, a fantastic game but I immediately would focus on the negative and I had that glass half empty kind of um, yeah. I suppose way about it whereas and was that, a, was that a, just a natural thing that was in you or, or was there kind of and I'm not trying to finger blame on anyone so I'm not asking you to do that either but you know was it a consequence of of an experience in childhood whereby, you know, there was a focus maybe on the negative? No, nothing. As I mentioned, my family weren't particularly sporty. They weren't exactly, you know, pushing me to be a superstar. They weren't bothered by the whites or the goals. Exactly. Like, you know, they just were happy (laughs) I was out kicking a football and all the rest. Um, You know, it it was purely that competitive drive that I've had and that ambition to be the best. And look, I still have that drive. I've just managed it an awful lot better now. And for me now, my mindset very much is uh, I can appreciate what I've done well in a game. Um, but also not just ignore the negatives or the the mistakes that I made, but use them as an opportunity to learn and, and be better in the next game. You know, and I know now that I'm not perfect um, and that there will be mistakes in, in my personal life and general life, but also in sport and that uh, it's how I kind of react to that and how I improve on that is a big way that I push forward and you know, uh, I, I wish I obviously had done it a lot sooner and was able to realise that, but um it's the way I live my life now and it's worked so well, so far. Do you consider yourself a role model? Um, like, look, I know that I am. I'm, I'm in uh, the spotlight and I know that when you play for Dublin you play for a high-profile team that you are a role model whether you want to be or not. Mm. Um, and so... At the times I, you don't want to be? Uh, no, like, I don't uh, ever say to myself, like, yeah, I, I want to be a role model. I just know that I am. And I know that I have a responsibility that every time I put on that dumb jersey, I'm representing not just everybody who plays Gaelic football in Dublin, but the people in this city itself. And I, I'm, I, it's a privilege for me to wear that Dublin jersey. And I want to show everybody the culture that we've created within this team and the attitudes that we have um, not just for our own teammates but for everybody who plays the sport and the referee and, and you know our opponents and um, that's a big part of, of our team kind of mentality and you know uh, I understand that every time I, I step outside my house that I have got eyes on me and what I'm doing and you know it's not just on the pitch it's off the pitch and I, I try to just live my life and be a good person and, you know, appreciate that uh, I'm lucky and privileged to be in the position that I am and, and to have people looking up to me and that one day they might be in my shoes um, and, and playing for Dublin or, or mm. you know, at a high level in another sport. What you're talking about there, I mean, they're kind of values, aren't they? And the values of a team and players. And it's an interesting concept uh, or, or aspect of the modern game. I don't think coaches or players necessarily 30, 40 years we're talking about values. Now the values were there maybe it just wasn't talked about but you know I was listening to Pat Gilroy talking to Joe Brawley and Dion Fanning recently and he had a great story and you probably heard this um, where after they were hammered in 2011 writing down all this list of players who he said you know should never play for Dublin again and I think 10 of them went on to win about 7 All-Irelands and, and, and why they did was because of values it was the value system I mean tell me a little bit about that that importance within your squad or within teams, other teams, maybe Irish rugby teams as well you've been 
part of the value system. Yeah, I think, look, um, most elite teams would go on and have a lot of meetings and, and want to define what their own values are, what they stand for, how they're going to play the game and so forth. And and for us, Dublin is, is no different. Um, we just make sure that, you know, at the start of the year, we set out and define the clear goals that we want. You know, we try to make it as inclusive as possible so that every single player on the team, whether it's their first year in or whether it's their 15th year on the Dublin team, um, has a say and uh, is able to understand clearly the roles that they may have in the team and then also the fact that they feel like they're included. Um, we make sure that we have that effective communication and there's clear steps for everything that we do. That goes both ways, whether it's you know player-led, whether it's um, management-led, the kind of effective communication and feedback we have between players and management and how that works both ways. You know, and in that then there's just those clear defined roles and that it means that as we go through the season, if we feel like we're moving away from those values or those goals, we're able to retrace our steps and kind of break it back down to the the original kind of mm. way that we've done it. And we build on it throughout the years and, and change as our our team grows and develops. And I think that was um, for us this year massively important because we had a very young and transitional team um, that, you know, blew us out the water with what they managed to do and their development uh, this season to to get us to an All-Ireland final and, and to win. Yeah, envious of those young players when you see them. Uh, yes and no. Um, <laughs> absolutely, when you see them sprinting by you in training that you, you used to be one of the fastest and uh, what that's slowly changing. Absolutely. Uh, but look, there's other aspects. Uh, I, I look at them and go, geez, I'd hate to be an, a 19-year-old again kind of thing. But... Um, I'm envious of the career that they will have ahead of them and the yeah. fact that they're in a really high profile and elite setup from such a young age and they can bring that back to their club and hopefully influence other players around there. Um, but would I change my career so far? Absolutely not. Well, I'm sure all dubs listening will hope they all have a great career ahead of them and everybody from the remaining 31 counties will hope they run into <laughs> obstacles sooner rather than later. Hannah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you, Karen. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from 4 on News Talk.